Hi everyone, welcome to our special AVS edition of Kiln Rendezvous, the show that will help you navigate the world of restaking and AVS. Today your host is Edgar Roth, Protocol Specialist at Kiln. Enjoy listening. Hey there, and welcome to the latest episode of Kiln Rendezvous, again layer AVS edition. Um, I am your host today, I'm Edgar, Protocol Specialist at Kiln. We're the leading enterprise-grade staking platform uh, based from France. Um, I'm your host today, but I'm not alone. I'm with uh, Loic, uh, who is product manager in everything uh, close to Ethereum. Maybe Loic, you want to do a quick intro? Yeah, I'm Loic. I'm product manager at Kiln, working on uh, our smart contract products and on the integration of Egonelier across our stack. And we're welcoming today Ismail from Lagrange Labs. Ismail, how are you doing today? Doing great. Pleasure to be here, guys. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Um, so just to give a bit of context, Lagrange is one of the AVS uh, that will be live on, on uh, Eigenlayer, and this is what we're going to talk about today. So uh, Ismail, um, wanted to have you introduce yourself at, at the beginning, give us a bit of mm -hmm. context on what's your background and what led yeah. you to, to work on Lagrange and blockchain in general. Yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders of Lagrange. I focus mostly on the business side of the company. Um, my background, I was a venture capitalist before uh, founding Lagrange, and before that I was an engineer and an engineering leader. Um, and I started my career very early on working on engineering for digital asset strategy for a large financial services company um, before being a venture investor. And when I started Lagrange, really the, the, the core idea we had was you know, if there is a certain amount of state that your contract and predicated state transitions on, in reality, what you can build on chain is constrained by the access to that state and the amount of state that your, your contract can process in a given function call. And we believe that you could kind of take the same data-driven computing paradigms that we've seen in, in Web2, uh, and we can apply those both in terms of single chain and cross-chain state access. You're able to build things that are more complicated, more robust, and are more efficient all the way around. We can take, you know, the 10 things you can do on chain today and you can make them 100. Great. And um, just, I, I saw that you, you studied in, in Montreal. That's funny because I, I, I did. did. I was on the other side of the of the mountain. I was in HST Montreal, you were, you were in McGill. Um, how does one like start working in, 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 uh, in blockchain? And you know, how do you end up working with something that's at the, the forefront of innovation. Well, again, the uh, AVS is probably like the one of the hardest topics right, right now. So uh, yeah, talk a bit about, about, about it. Yeah, so firstly, I, I feel like I, I, I love that you, that you uh, studied in Montreal as well. The thing I always say to people in the US is if you haven't been to Montreal, you have to go. It's, it's one of the few cities, um, I would say, in North America that has just a really, really rich and diverse culture that's not, um, that's not Anglo-centric. And that was, it was probably one of the, the greatest places I could have gone to university. Um, and yeah, and so when I was there, that was really when I first got into kind of entrepreneurship broadly. Uh, I had my first startup when I was in college, raised a small amount of capital, not like what we see some of the Stanford kids raise now, but it was, it was a, it was meaningful at the time. Um, and as an ecosystem and kind of as a city, Montreal has some very deep roots in entrepreneurship and in startups. And there's been some great companies in the last decade, Sonder, for example, that have come out of Montreal. So um, it's, it was a great place kind of to, to dip my feet into what 
LeGrand would end up becoming. Nice. Um, one, one question, I think that to start off the, the, the technicalities is uh, Lagrange is uh, Lagrange with eigenlayer is something that's uh, uh, aiming to service optimistic rollups. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to us what is an optimistic rollup and how does it differ from a ZK rollup, for example? Yeah. So an optimistic rollup is a rollup where the canonical bridge does not generate a validity proof of the correctness of a state transition from the transactions wherein it asserts its state on an L1 through a bridging mechanism that is optimistic. There is the sequencer writes the, the purported block header or purported state to the L1, and then there's a fraud proof window wherein watchers of that network can submit challenges if the state purported by the sequencer is incorrect. So really, ZK rollups and optimistic rollups are both bridging mechanisms for, for uh, validity rollup signs, for, for sovereign rollup signs. Um, and so, you know, validity rollup or, or ZK rollup um, have the use proofs in, in essence to assert their, their state on the L1 and an optimistic rollup uses an optimistic design. Okay, interesting. So do you think uh, the Ethereum space will be uh, composed of many rollups in the future? Do you think there will be more and mm -hmm. more Z ZK and uh, optimistic rollup? Yeah. Uh, we've seen that DevConnect, for example, that um, uh, there is kind of this a sentence of a thousand rollup, uh, and uh, do you think it's the future for Ethereum? Um, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, we're we're incredibly bullish on both optimistic and zk and, and sovereign rollup design, as well as I mean, even based rollup design. Um, and across the board, I think the ability to have more and more block space that inherits security from from a canonical bridging layer just creates an incredibly powerful paradigm for, for to allow developers to have more flexibility in the applications that they build. Um, and so, you know, what I honestly believe, and this is maybe a controversial statement, is I don't think ZK rollups are going anywhere. I don't think optimistic rollups are going anywhere, at least for the foreseeable future. Both of them do have very specific advantages that allow them to be used for different types of applications that have different requirements. And at scale, an optimistic rollup can process many, many more transactions, nearly unbounded amount in theory, um, with a significantly lower overhead on the proving of the correctness of a state transition. Because in essence, you just you, you require the, an actor to challenge the, the validity of a proposed state transition rather than requiring every transition to be proved. So at scale, there's things like micropayments, UGC applications, games, that I believe would more inherently lend themselves to an optimistic rollup as well as you know maybe more financialized applications, things like order books, DEXs, and uh, you know, derivatives protocols that might lend themselves more to a ZK rollup. But at the end of the day, we think both those paradigms stay and both require robust tooling to be built to allow them to have you know, a parity in features. Very clear, thanks. And um, within like this vision of a thousand um, uh, rollups for the Ethereum ecosystem, do you think it makes sense for every uh, decentralized application mm -hmm. to have its own blockchain and its own block space behind? What, what do you think are the advantage of that versus like uh, the opposite version that would be on your layer one for all yeah. these, uh, these applications? Yeah, that's a tremendous question. And so to start with, I think not every application needs its own blockchain. Um, I think this is this is what we've seen in the Cosmos where you do see a gravitation of a lot of developers to build on the, the smart contract blockchain of this, like the Juno or the Evmos, etc. Um, but there are applications that are really on the forefront that are pushing the boundaries of what can be done in execution spaces. 
These are the things that might need custom uh, custom lanes for transactions. These are the things that might need um, a, a higher TPS to be able to sustain spikes in activity that could otherwise clog the the uh, a general purpose execution space. And this is where the application specific rollups or application application specific chains really take over. What it allows is for a developer to have agency to customize their application and the block space that they use for what they require for what they build. And this is something that you don't get on a general purpose chain. Where you, if the chain spikes in activity at a period of time, it's possible that your users will have to pay substantially higher gas fees, even if that is something that's intrinsic to your protocol. And on that specific chain, you don't have that issue, right? If, it, if your, your order book can have a much more predictable fee structure and, and pricing structure for trades, because it's only a vol based on the volume on that given rollup and not based on the volume on the overall execution space. So that type of customization is really good for applications that have very specific requirements and then want to be able to meet those requirements for their users. And so if you have like a lot of rollups with a lot of protocols, um, uh, don't you think that the liquidity will be kind of mm -hmm. um, fragmented in uh, each of this blockchain? How do you think we can still make the whole system efficient? Yeah. Um, uh, maybe by communicating be between these rollups, what, what do you think is um, are the challenges there for, to improve the, the liquidity and not fragment it on a thousand rollups? Yeah, so I think interoperability is a very personal question. The, the question of what is the interoperability protocol that you want to use, how much security versus how much cost versus how much latency are you willing to take, these are all very personal questions to application developers. And specifically with the current state of cross-chain interoperability, there really isn't a single winner or single answer to all of this. There's a plurality of mechanisms that developers can choose between that are once again, similar to the customization of execution spaces, give developers the ability to customize their cross-chain position and their applications cross-chain state access and asset transferability. Um, and this is really why at Lagrange, we've focused on what we, what we have, which is not a cross-chain protocol, it's not a messaging protocol, it's not a bridging protocol. It's a mechanism to assert security over an execution space, the light client characteristic rollups. Because what this allows is for a developer to say, this is a secure representation of my state that I want protocols to use. At which point, the protocols who can accept that give you a, a plethora of transport layer features that you can then use downstream. Teams like Layer Zero that were a default uh, distributed value network for folks like Polymer, who we work with, you know, Axler, et cetera. So a developer can say, this is my state, and then everything downstream of that can inherit security, regardless of what you want to use for your cross-chain activities. Right. Okay. I, I think this is a great segue into, into our next session, which is mm -hmm. uh, what is uh, uh, more broadly like Lagrange and what does it do uh, uh, with uh, eigenvalue? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, as I mentioned a little bit before, Lagrange is a state, is a, the Lagrange state committees are a light client for optimistic rollups. So what does that mean? Well, an optimistic rollup does not have a representation of state that can be interpreted by anyone besides a watcher who executes those transactions and finds the resulting safety execution. At which point, you know, you can think of the, the, the optimistic mechanism as a way for Ethereum to interpret the finality of that rollup or the, the state of that rollup based on a period of time that passes from when the first state is submitted and giving users a period of time to challenge that in a game theoretic manner secures the, the, the uh, state that represented on the L1. 
but this is not very efficient of a paradigm for cross-chain. So if you're sitting on, let's say, Arbitrum, and you want to receive a message from Optimism, you don't really want to wait two weeks for Ethereum to interpret your finality. Well, then what's the other end of the spectrum? Well, you can trust, you know, a network with nine validators to say, okay, sure, here's the state. Our nine people told us this, this is the state, which is not very secure, right? It's a, it's a very easy to compromise and hack mechanism. And so what you want is a middle ground often where you can say, okay, this is the representation of state of my rollup with some amount of safety that asserts that this is the block header at this point. And so what Lagrange state committees are on iNulayer is a mechanism to do that. That says, you know, in block height X, the block header is Y. And there is, you know, 40 million, 1 billion of restaked Ethereum that, in a very similar model to the Ethereum sync committee, has attested to and asserted this block header is correct, that is slashable and attributable in the event that it is not. Interesting. And why did you um, kind of keep the, the design um, uh, that Ethereum has on the consensus of the sync committees? Um, what what are the advantages of, of of this? Yeah, yeah. So if you think of the sync committee, and you were thinking of proving the sync committee, it's really an inductive proof. There's a start point where the initial sync, where you have, in essence, you have a point of trust, either genesis or or the instantiation of your contract. We say I'm going to trust that this block header or this beacon root is correct, and then there's a committee in that root that signs, in essence, the the, the next beacon root on a fixed size. Um, and in order for that next beacon root to be correct with respect to like client protocol, it needs to be signed by two thirds of the, of the, the correct committee. And that committee contains, or that beacon root contains what the next committee would be. So in essence, there's a, there's a recursive step of each committee signing off the next committee all the way to a current slice of that, right? So let's say block B is defined insofar as B minus one has the, sorry, the committee in B minus one has signed the committee for B, B and B minus one has been proved valid. And how does B minus one prove valid? Well, based on B minus two, all the way back to whatever your, your, your genesis point is. And so what you can construct is, is with that recursive step all the way back to your, your uh, base case, inductive proof. And so you can define a very similar mechanism for that with restaking for optimistic rollups, something that inherently defines our canonical bridging with respect to the Ethereum validators anyway. We take some, set of, some subset of the Ethereum validators and you sample them and you require them to now attest to the state of an optimistic rollup at a point in time. In a very similar structure of current committing, next committee, then block header that you would have with the sync committee. And on top of those attestations, you can take a, an existing bridge design that uses, let's say, Ethereum-like client-based ZK proofs, and you can apply that to this new type of like client design that's extensible to optimistic rollups to really any execution space that defines itself by Ethereum. Okay, and so basically, so the whole Lagrange system produces proofs uh, of uh, eviction of states. And how do you exactly. see this proof used inside the rollups? Uh, do you expect, for example, DEXs to um, use this proof to see the liquidity on other chains? Uh, or do you expect the integration of this proof to be more at the protocol level? So Lagrange is not in the business of, of, of transporting proofs or doing cross-chain messaging or cross-chain bridging. This is a very, really good question. It's a really good point that we always try to make sure to make clear. That we think of cross-chain as something that's also modular. And this is the way that cross-chain has been shifting in the industry. Look at Layer Zero's work, Hyperlane's work, Axler's work, and kind of creating more, more prolific ways to define state and a larger number of ways to define state. 
where you, in essence, in cross-chain have three components. You have an assertion of state, which is what is the state of chain A at some point in time. You have a transport of state, which is who is going to take that assertion of chain A and move that chain B. And then you have computation on that assertion, which is once we're on chain B, what are we going to do? Are we going to check for an event? Are we going to check for a transaction? Are we going to check for, for a PS storage slot? And how is this going to integrate with the end user application? In reality, all we do is the, is the first part, assertion. And we work with major cross-chain protocols to have them integrate this type of safety and this type of uh, cross-chain security into their existing designs. So you can use a layer zero or a polymer or an axler or any of these cross-chain protocols that you've grown to love. And you can just base your security now on what is probably, in, in our view, the most the most powerful and the most representative mechanism of that state that exists prior to the front window. So in short, you don't have to change anything. You can use the protocols you love and you can use them the way you like, just with a little bit more security behind them. Perfect. Um, I, I do have one question is uh, yeah. you, you, you've, ma you've made it clear that like what's your, your exact state within everything, but uh, who do you think you, you compete with? Um, we compete with monolithic cross-chain protocols. Monolithic cross-chain protocols compete with every part of the stack. A monolithic cross-chain protocol is one that has, you know, um, uh, you know, the assertion of state, the transport of state, and then the computational state just bundled together into one application. And you see these, I mean, I'm not going to list them off, but you, there's a lot of protocols that we could, that we all know that are very monolithic, right? Where there's a specific set of, you know, K of N of us say this, and then we're going to tell, you know, chain B that K of NMS said this, and then you get your message. But a lot of these protocols have kind of started to see the light and are becoming modular. This is why I don't really want to mention them, because a lot of them will likely in three months, six months, start looking to adopt mechanisms like this because it's much more secure. Because right now, the thing that a lot of people who don't really necessarily build rollups don't kind of realize until they build it, is that it's very, very hard to get your rollup supported by all these cross-chain protocols. You have to lobby them, you have to call the founders, you have to help your investors call the founders, and you have to get enough volume to make it worth their time to run your nodes and to attest to your state. A state committee fun functionally shifts the imperatives away from them to run your, improve your state, and onto you to build security around your state. So once you build that security around your state and around your state committee, it's very, very easy for an existing protocol that can support these types of proofs to just plug into the proof. It doesn't require that now it's an operational list of having to run 400 of your validators or watchers. Super clear. Um, just to give you also mm. context, like this, uh, this podcast is uh, mainly uh, tailored towards a risk taker audience and an operator yeah. audience. So we're always very, very curious to uh, mm. like on, on our side, know uh, what it would mean like to be a good operator for, for like launch, like what type of involvement you're, you're, you're looking for. Yeah on the operator side, and we can talk about the, the risk takers right Yeah. So from an operator standpoint, you know, both risk takers and operators are the foundation of the state committees. Uh, as kind of I mentioned a little bit before, the the state committees are entirely based on restake operators, restake nodes on Ethereum that attest to the execution of these optimistic rollup blocks. So in order to be, you know, a gold tier operator, you, you need to be able to have the Lagrange uh, node, that's a very, very light piece of infrastructure, connected to an optimistic rollup watcher, and then connected to a theorem state. 
And if you do that, and you correctly sign the state of the optimistic rollup, what you, you, you in essence can help secure the cross-chain messaging and cross-chain bridging of whichever rollup that you want to work with, want to support. And so you really don't have to do very much computation. You just have to be honest. And if you're honest with your attestations and run the software properly, you'll receive rewards. rewards. And this is something that we've kind of called in, in a few of our presentations, operator minimalism. So what does that mean? It means that there's a very, very simple and transparent set of slashing conditions. In this case, don't sign the wrong state that are nearly impossible to fall foul of if you are an honest actor. There's no complicated liveness guarantees. There's no extrinsic risks where your, your slashing condition is, is, is predicated on the price of ETH in some way. All you have to do is just sign the correct thing and you'll receive a, a rather steady and a rather material payment from the downstream protocols that, that pay you for these, for these attestations. Yeah, no, just a question on the operator setup. Um, uh, you mentioned that there is basically sync committee design. Uh, is it um, therefore like one node per operator or can an operator run multiple nodes? Do you have any policy regarding that? Um, how could you view this, this setup? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And so the feeling that we have is that there's no need to have only one node per operator because functionally this mechanism is designed to really guarantee high safety behind state. And the liveness of these committees is really a product of the independent parties that are running these, these nodes and not really a product of the number of nodes outright, right? Where if, if one of an operator's nodes goes down, it's likely that the older nodes will go down because there's an issue with their, with their setup across the board. And so we believe that operators have right now the capacity internally to be able to manage their own safety and their own correctness of the execution of software, as well as guaranteeing their own liveness. And we think that there's not really a need to tell an operator you have to run 50, 100, 200 of the same node, when in reality, they can get the same result by just delegating to their one node. And so that's why we've designed it to really not, not really require an operator to uh, lose the opportunity to run, to run only one node. They can really run however many they want and decide to themselves the, the number that's best for their own, for their own replica requirements. Great. And talking a bit about yeah. our, our, our risk taker friends, um, you know, the, the, there's one thing they're always very interested about is uh, revenue. Um, the old. So, like, what what can risk takers expect uh, uh, to get from uh, from from Lagrange, uh, and, and what in what form will you guys be paying in your token? Yeah. You know, will rollups paying in paying their own token? How will all of that work? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So the fees will be paid by cross-chain protocols that are downstream and are consuming use proofs. Um, and that includes most of the major ones that we can talk about, like Layer Zero and, and Polymer and some of the best teams in the space. Um, and the the types of yield that these operators will receive is, is really just directly in a, I would say, a, a low volatility asset, like Ethereum or USDC or whatever we decide to remit the payment. But... This is not going to be an inflationary yield. It's not going to be a yield where where operators are getting some some highly volatile speculative coin at a steep, steep inflation rate that could be worth nothing in three weeks. This is really designed to be a mechanism that pays a material yet steady and predictable yield. Great, great. I think our, our risk takers will definitely be... Uh very happy about this. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So like it's it's not it's it might be ETH, it might be something else. Where there will be basically like a governance committee to to decide on, on which token is allowed to to go in this pool. Yeah, it, it would likely either be ETH or we'd swap ETH into into USDC to, to prevent the payment. Um, it just depends on what we think makes the most sense for the operators we work with. But I I would consider probably an ETH payment would be would be clearer since it's basically just ETH on ETH nomination, right? Where you restake ETH and then you're denominating your payment to ETH as well. Okay. Um, talking a bit about now the the, the timeline for for launch, if mm -hmm. you have uh, the, the information, of course. Um, we know that uh, AVS's, AVS mainnet is expected about around uh, April, maybe it will be later. Mm -hmm. uh, do you do you do you feel like you'll be able to launch in conjunction with IGDA and the yes. the other first AVS? Lagrange will, will without question be in the first tranche of both testnet and mainnet AVS is launching. Our infrastructure right now is at a point that we're ready to launch. We have been building this thanks to a lot of the collaboration with the EigenLayer team for the, for the better part of the last year. And right now our infrastructure is in a place where I would consider it mainnet ready. Um, and so obviously we, we're working closely with the EigenLayer team continually to make sure that, that our timelines are as closely aligned with their timelines as possible. Uh, we recently announced last week that one of our optimistic rollup partners, Mantle Network, who's been on the forefront of working with Eigenlayer and working with very emergent primitives in rollup design, has uh, decided for Lagrange to be their light client, and then the Lagrange State Committee to be their light client, and they'll be seeding that with 10 million of capitals in the treasury. And so that gives us a very strong early integration that really, in our view, legitimizes this design as a core primitive in roll-up lore and the roll-up architecture. Great. And perf perfect segue into my, my next question, mm -hmm. which is, uh, so uh, so you, you've, you've mentioned at least one roll-up that, uh, that will launch when, uh, with, with Lagrange when, uh, when the AVS goes live. And then will there be uh, other uh, roll-ups? Uh, and yes. ultimately, like, what, how many roll-ups can we expect uh, Lagrange to be supporting, let's say, in, uh, in six to eight months? Six to eight months, I hope it's a few thousand. But we have to get there first on people launching those rollups. Um, Avalanche will support most of the major ones. Optimism, Arbitrum, Base, Mantle, and any other ones that we we work with and feel like we're in a good position to, to launch concurrently with. Like you had a question? Um, yeah, I mean, um, so in terms of uh, op operator, then uh, when it's launched, like, um, uh, do, will it be like kind of open to to any operator, or do you uh, plan to have kind of a, a first a first set of uh, operators? Um, like we you know, for example, Eigenda uh, had like uh, sixty operators on testnet. Uh, do you expect to to have this kind of cap at the beginning, or is would it be open to anyone to propose an agrof to risk takers? Yeah. So we, we intend to have it be, for the first version, a set of operators that we have a good rapport with. Um, there's, there's a few that we're working with now. We obviously would love to have you guys on there as well, Kiln being, I think, one of the premier operators in the space. Um, and we intend to really begin to open this up to just, you know, a very permissionless set of operators over time um, as we think the, you know, the, the, the safety and the maturity of all of this restaking architecture and continues to to iterate. 
Nice. Um, I mean, is there uh, like what's next uh, for Lagrange after uh, the launch of, of the AVS? Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned more rollup support. Um, are there any features, yeah. uh, any other development paths are you taking? Yeah. So we, we didn't necessarily touch on this earlier, but a large part of what Lagrange focuses on is ZK coprocessing. That's what our business foundation does. And so the state committees is an application level or application layer activity of, of our ZK coprocessor. And we target specifically very large MapReduce style computation that runs over on-chain data uh, in a way that is you know, data parallel. So we can target things like SQL, MapReduce, Spark, RDD that we can compute over large subsets of historical and present on-chain state. And so we have a lot of things coming out this year that are in line with that, that take some of the primitives that we're able to do and able to leverage with our state committees and really allow that to be used for a broader set of use cases, not built by us, but built by other of our partners. And this will eventually be something that we integrate as an ABS on top of Eigenlayer as well. And it's something that we're very excited about continuing to iterate on uh, this year. Um, okay, so, so so that means that like like, like Ranch Plus ABS will be the the, the state <laughs> uh, do you do you, do you know like when you have the the, the, the zk avs launch will it be like a different avs or or maybe will it be like added to like the the, the original uh like uh avs or maybe this would not really match with your avs mini, uh, minimalism uh uh view yeah so I, I i think we would like it to be separate likely as a deployment because i think that would give operators the ability to specialize into one or both how they see fit. And we think that gives us more flexibility um, across the board. And, and then yields will obviously stack based on opt-in. But, you know, we haven't really contemplated fully whether or not and how we're going to design that. And it's going to just be an iterative conversation on our team and then and then with the Eigenlayer team as well. Um, but we're very committed to, to continuing to leverage the technology that we build within the ABS ecosystem and the modular ecosystem broadly. Great. And uh, so... Talking a bit about the, this AVS minimalism vision that uh, you had, mm-hmm. you very uh, clearly explained uh, uh, when we when we saw, we, we saw your pitch at uh, in Istanbul. Uh, yeah. um, do, I, do you think you, like you're paving the way for other AVSs to build like a simpler uh, a version of uh, of themselves? Basically, like uh, do you w- mm-hmm. how come do you have like this uh, empathy towards uh, operators to make you, your AVS uh, simple? I, I think that there will always be a need for very complicated mechanisms or very simple mechanisms in the designing of an AVS. And I think that it's very important to, as an operator or as a restaker, to be to understand the dynamics and the mechanisms of, of, of the AVSs that you support or that you delegate into um, so that you can make sure that the yields you get are commensurate with the risks that you face. You know, at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's no free lunch. So if you are using an AVS that is high risk and is, is not minimalistic, then there's likely going to be a commensurate yield with that. There's going to be a higher rate of, of, of um, return on capital. But the flip side is you're much more likely to be slashed. Um, and something like what we build, which is, which is trying to really champion kind of this concept of AVS minimalism, um, is something that we think is, is really capable of uh, being, being, not being a large lift for operators to support and being very, very easy to kind of be a first step into, into working with an AVS. 
where it's it's a light infrastructure, the operational overhead is very low, you can run nodes for very little cost. You know, the only cost that you're functionally offsetting with sees is the cost of capital, not the cost of operation. And that's something that we think really makes it compelling early on. And I think there's gonna be operators who who wanna go higher the ladder of risk, and there's some who are gonna wanna go lower. It's gonna depend on the sources or capital, a lot of dynamics. So we hope other other operators and other uh for we hope other AVSs kind of take this principle and apply it when it's re relevant to their to their application needs. And do you think this will um this will maybe like uh trigger uh a segregation of uh, AVS, so like you, you could be like uh, one one team uh, wanting to build like uh, one AVS on eigen on eigen layer, but just to make things simpler, like you'll end up building five AVS different AVS. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very possible that 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 someone might fragment out AVSs into specific feature sets, um, and then I think the question will be whether or not the market prices the the overall security differently across it. I imagine if there was five, 10 slashing conditions on an ABS, um, it would be very difficult to price an aggregate where you effectively would have to pay returns that are the sum of the risk or that offset the sum of the risk across all of these, as opposed to if you're able to fragment it out, you'd be able to have operators who have different risk profiles be able to delegate partial amounts into different of the mechanisms without requiring the overall mechanism holistically to be supported by an operator. Would likely be a premium on the overall risk versus versus just a sum of the individual risk. Luis, you had a question. Young, you know, uh, I think yeah, it's, it's pretty clear. It's definitely like um, something we we uh, like kind of excited to see as well is how this AVS design evolve um, with again layer. Um, and yeah, I mean, like if, if we. So again, here is still in this uh, kind of testnet phase uh, regarding AVS, which is kind of the, the main feature of, of, of the platform. Like, what do you see? Let's say uh, if, if we move same like to six months, uh, even two years, um, uh, around like the again evolution and AVS evolution there as well. Um, and you already mentioned you plan for leverage to add more AVS, but how, how do you see like maybe more competition? Uh, maybe uh, like toward yeah. toward getting the restate east, like how? How do you see this at all? Yeah, I mean, there's always a concern that competition is going to push up the pricing of of, of restate ETH. But at the end of the day, like I think we don't find that a concerning dynamic um, because whatever the price is for restate ETH is going to be set by the market. The demand for restate ETH versus the the value that's generated from that. So I imagine early on the excitement's going to push up push up the cost of capital, but eventually that's going to converge to whatever the the equilibrium dynamic is for the market. Or however much secure safety of restate ETH cost is however much it's gonna we're gonna have to pay. And that's something that we're very we're very comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, if you build a mechanism like this, you have to be you have to be confident that you can be able to support both the operational cost and then the cost of capital of of your partners. And if you can't do that, then your your the thing you're designing doesn't really have longevity. And we've designed the state committees to be something that we we're confident can can derive sufficient yield to offset both those costs. Not just in the short term with an inflationary mechanism, but long term through real substantive yield. Um, just being conscious of time, uh, we're, we're a little bit over, so I'm going to be asking. I'm, I'm going to ask my my last question. Yeah, um, and I think this is a question that actually I, I almost feel bad for not asking uh, the other uh, areas that uh, 
uh, I, we already got on is what do you, do you think there is a, a risk uh, for AVS in general that if they become too big, they might want to like get uh, uh, independent from Eigenlayer and start building their, their sovereign chains, for example? Um, we, we would have no interest in doing that. I think what, what we believe, and this is, this is why we've targeted the design that we've designed is that there's going to be no cheaper cost of capital than restative. That if we look at how much, uh, is required to incentivize an operator on a Cosmos chain versus what we expect to be required to incentivize a restake operator, it's going to be substantially higher on the Cosmos because there's no. There's no principal validation task. Like Ethereum validation is offsetting the the underlying cost of that of, of that instrument. And so we think long term that it doesn't necessarily make sense for anyone really to take the integration they have with Eigenlayer and try to pull that out and move their capital elsewhere. We really think that Eigenlayer is the perfect platform to be experimental, to build great things and to scale those things to to really be in the packs on the space. And I, I, I tend not to think that moving off of Eigenlayer is going to have any positive benefit for an ecosystem, for the company itself or for the broader Ethereum landscape. That's clear. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's better, like, where, where can we send our, our, our audience to, to learn more uh, about yeah. Magrange and maybe follow you on Twitter? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about, about Lagrange State Committees or MapReduce Coprocessor, uh, we'd love for you to follow us on Twitter at Lagrange Devs or to go to our website at www.lagrangedev.com. Actually, not .com, LagrangeDev. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ismael, and to the audience. See you very soon for the next episode. Thanks so much. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks for listening to this special AVS edition of Kiln Rendezvous. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly updates. If you need assistance with staking or restaking, feel free to reach out to our team at hello at kiln.fi. We're here to help.